Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. And since the pandemic, this is great. And if you're joining us on YouTube tonight, welcome. All right, so let's say a prayer. Let's not just say a prayer. Let's pray to God. The Lord be with you. Lord, you invite us into life with you. And golly gee, um, Give us the grace to open our hearts and our minds to this invitation, Lord, and to, once again, um, to accept it and live into this life that you so desperately um, gave yours for us that we could share into this life with you. And tonight, Lord, we ask your blessing. Uh, we may draw closer to you, and we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, tonight I wanted to talk about the liturgy. The first night we talked about baptism, uh, that is our identity and what that means. Um, what is baptism and how does that relate to actually who we are before we actually get into what we do. And then following that, we looked at the, our service and we looked at the two key components of that word and sacrament. And we looked at uh, the word one week and last week we um, had a review of Eucharist and what, what is essentially the Eucharist means. Tonight, I wanted to talk about the overall um, picture of what it is that we do when we gather on Sundays. Some of this will be a repeat. Some hopefully might be new information. Uh, however, um, as I prepare these talks, I find myself drawn into the, the beauty and the mystery of what it is we do. And I'm like, even though I supposedly know this and teach it, I find myself really sometimes blown away at the profundity of what it is that we say. So I call this and entitle this Welcome to a Dance because much like a ballet or some other form of artistic dance where composers and choreographers and dancers and actors and directors and musicians and visual artists all work together to express and enact a vision, this artistic vision via dance, well, on the first day of each new week, we gather. And we come together uh, from wherever life has brought us, drawing us together in a participation not only with one another, but actually between heaven and earth, really. Heaven and earth meet us here, and it's an overlap of the past, all those who have gone before us, the present, us now, and the future, those who will come after us. And essentially, if you can think about that image, get that mental picture, that this is essentially what we're doing in here, you could say, is a form of a dance. Because it's not just us watching a ballet, that, but we're actually in it. Some of us are visual artists, some of us are the ballerinas, some of us are the choreo you know, choreographers or whatever, but we're all participating in this grand dance. And we do it together, though, not just with the folks, as I said, that are here, but the people that would come before us, um, the people that are present now, and those who will come after. This is a dance of celebration that takes place throughout time and history, and we're not just doing it as a solo group of St. Michael's Episcopal Church, but we're doing this dance, this act of worship, um, with people from throughout the world and throughout time. So if you can get your mind wrapped around there, that's a pretty significant event that's taking place when we gather. So we're not just coming to church, per se, to be um, um, observers or spectators, but we come to participate. It's like showing up at a dance, right? You ever danced with someone? Right, and if you've done some kind of ballroom dancing, you know that it takes two individuals working together, right? I'm not going to ballroom dance for you, but it goes something like that, 
right? And you, if one person's stepping on each other's feet, so you're working together. And that's what we're doing on Sundays in the form of worship. So every Sunday, we, we remember and we reenact our gospel story through what we call liturgy, this dance. And the liturgy, the word liturgy, is we, it's another word for our service, our Sunday morning service. We call it a liturgy because liturgy literally means work of, dang on, that's good. I'm proud of you, sweetheart. The work of the people, right? It's something that we do, not necessarily something that we watch. There's a difference. It's an engagement with God. We're in the game. We're in the dance. So worship is essentially a response to God. And perhaps, um, um, you know, folks that don't necessarily participate um, miss out on something profound. Right? I mean, the game, if you will, the dance wasn't meant to watch on TV or YouTube as much as we're grateful for Eric Olson and his ministry in YouTube. But we're, we're, we're intended to be here on the dance floor together. And so the principal act of worship, we say, is the Holy Eucharist. And that's the liturgy of the proclamation of the Word, as I said, in one week, and then the celebration of Holy Communion. So I have a question for you tonight. Why do we go to church? To dance, I like that. You said to what? Worship, why would I go worship? What? To worship God, okay. Well, <laughs> that's a good answer. I'm just kind of being a little. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. Listen to this, says this. Whoever wrote Hebrews to the author of Hebrews says, let us hold strong to the confession of our hope never wavering since the one who promised it to us is faithful. Let us consider how to inspire each other to greater love and to righteous deeds, not forgetting to gather as a community as some have forgotten, but encouraging each other, especially as the day of his return approaches. So we gather not only to be inspired and inspire one another to greater acts of love and righteous deeds, right? And that's why we do a lot of the things we do as a community outside the walls of these church. But we need one another to support that and encourage us to do that. You try to fly solo, right? There's no Lone Ranger Christian. There's no such thing. Because Christians are part of something, a part of a body, the body of Christ. And so we come, we gather, we dance to inspire one another, to encourage one another, especially as we prepare for the Lord to return. And so the word translated church in English actually means the assembly of the called. So we as Christians are called. We as the baptized are called. And so church means the assembly of those who are called. It implies that members have said yes to God's call in their lives. So we assemble because we're called into being by God himself. That goes back to our baptism, right? And some people, for reasons only they know, choose not um, to participate. And they attempt to live the Christian life in isolation. I don't need to go to church, right? You, you, you've heard that before? But when they do, they cut themselves off from the gifts, the encouragement, and the vitality of one another. So we all possess gifts. And so this is why we gather. And we come together for this dance. We're called into it. We encourage one another. We inspire one another to greater deeds. We come to be fed and uplifted by the Word and the sacrament. And so we begin the dance, if you will, with what we call the processional. Now, typically, uh, without the pandemic and all that going on, typically it begins back there. There's a group of people, right? And the people gather in the Lord's name, and we worship as a community. And so the processional begins in the back, and the cross leads the way. And there's a reason for that. Can you tell me why the cross leads the way? I can't hear you. 
hang on, that was easy. Did you read the thing? We follow Jesus, right? So we, the cross leads the way, and we come from the back, and where are we headed toward? We're headed toward the table feast, right? And we're processing in. Now, that's kind of a royal thing that came out of the 16th century or whatever, but that's what we do. And we're processing behind the cross because behind the cross we follow Jesus. Now, we're robed in white. There's a reason that we often wear white because white represents new creation. And it comes out of Revelation 7 that we're a new creation. And Paul even says that. And so these white albs are intended to convey our shared destiny in Christ that we're this new creation. So we're not just wearing them because they're convenient and comfortable and cute, right? But that, that they have a meaning and a purpose and they represent something. And so the cross leads us down the aisle where our focus is turned to the presence of the risen Christ where we gather. And I begin, we begin with what we call the opening acclamation. You all know what that is? The celebrant and the people begin not by changing, exchanging good mornings. I don't get up and say, good morning, church, right? Uh, and then you all go, good morning, Rick. Um, we don't do that, <laughs> right? First, we have come, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or, right, or Almighty God. And then that, that we come to bless God. That means we come to offer God honor and worship, and it gives us the assurance that we have God with us as our higher power to strengthen and encourage us. So, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be His kingdom now and forever. Amen. See, also, and I'll say, the Lord be with you. And then you say, also with you. When we say that, we're saying that... Um, you could essentially say that, uh, let me see, where is my page four? Um, when I say I, I needed to do this, I apologize, I messed up. Um, I went off page. So first we come to bless God, which means offer God our worship. Second, we proclaim and we remember that God is one in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? earth maker, pain bearer, life giver, some say, but we celebrate the Trinitarian God because God can only be known as Trinitarian. God is, the Trinity is God. It's expressed in three different ways, if you will, but God is expressed as Trinity. God is a dance. God is relational, and we're caught up in that God dance but between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're all a part of that. And third, we celebrate God's reign in the universe and our commitment to become a part of it. So, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be His kingdom, His reign, now and forever. That one sentence says an incredible amount about who we are, who God is, and what we're here to do. And then we say the collective purity. Y'all know that one? Almighty God, I'll say it typically. Some congregations say it together, but Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. It's called the collective purity. It essentially comes from Psalm 51, and this prayer has been in the, in the Anglican worship for centuries. All hearts are open. In this, we are acknowledging God who... Um, who God is and recognize that we need help and we need grace in order to love and to worship God. So we've said we're here to worship God. Now we're asking God to help us. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Isn't that beautiful? And we're inviting God into this. And then typically following that collective purity, we sing a song or a hymn of praise. Can be what? The Gloria? Currently, I think we're singing the Trisagion. I think that's what we're doing. Anyhow, I don't know which one we're doing right at the moment. can't remember 
Um, it's Lent. I forget which one Andrew's done. But we have a hymn of praise, right? Typically, the glory, which is straight out of the Scripture, the words that are spoken by the angels in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest and peace, right? You all remember that? And so we're singing this hymn of praise because God has come and joined with us. Um, and so we're really celebrating the reality of the incarnation every Sunday when we do this hymn of praise. And that leads us to, I say, the Lord be with you. And then the people in the congregation, some of them with their paying attention will say, and also with you. Or, or they'll say it under the breath, and also with you. But what we're really doing in this, when I say the Lord be with you, what I'm saying, what I'm announcing, what I'm acknowledging is Christ's presence, right? And we're express, expressing the profound reality of God's life dwelling right here with us and in our souls. So when I say the Lord be with you, it's not rote. It's not just we're, we're, we're proclaiming something in this. The Lord be with you. We're acknowledging. Thank you. And we're acknowledging God's presence. We're expressing the profound reality of God's life here dwelling in our souls. And it's also, though, a reminder that God is indeed with us. And it's a reminder of our mission that has been passed on to us. Just in those simple words, the Lord be with you. And it's an assurance that we have God with us as our higher power to strengthen and encourage us as we go to live this. And then you say to me, or the priest, and also with you. It's just a courteous exchange. No, no, it's not. You're saying to me, all right, God is with you as well for those very same reasons. And we're essentially saying to that priest, you're the one who's ordained by the church, raised up by the church to lead us in this sacred dance and um, be the priest that God has made you. That's what we're saying. So when I say the Lord be with you and you say also with you, we're saying some pretty significant and deep theological things. You have a question? Yeah. Yeah, so did y'all hear that? He says, when I say that, I, I feel the presence of God here, and I say, and I acknowledge that reality. I guess I'm paraphrasing what you said, Chuck, but yes, that's what we're doing. That's part of it, right? And that's huge. And then I say, the collect of the day, right? The collect, we call it a collect. It looks like the word collect. But a collect of the day is, is essentially, um, uh, collects are a collection of concise prayers centered around the theme for the day. So if it's Transfiguration Sunday, it's going to that theme and that prayer that we say is going to be centered around that theme for the day. If it's Resurrection and Easter, it's going to be centered around that. So each and every single week, the collect of the day kind of lays out, if you will, the theme of what we're going to be doing that day. And it has essentially four or five parts to it. Every collect, it begins with it's directed toward the Father, always, perhaps in light of some particular attribute of God. But we always acknowledge and direct a prayer to God. And we ask something of God for us in that prayer every single Sunday. You can look at it this week. Um, and a reason and a purpose is given for why we're asking. So we acknowledge God, we ask for something for God, and we give a reason and a purpose for our petition. And at the conclusion of the prayer, we do it through in Jesus Christ, right? In your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as our mediator. And then the congregation says, Amen. Now, amen means, go for it, rahu, hoo, no, amen means truly, or I agree, or so be it. And so the congregation asks, so be it, right? So be it, what we just prayed for. And so we have this collect, and that leads us into the proclamation and the response of the word of God. 
So just before the, even the readings and without the music, the processional itself and just a few simple words and a prayer, we've said some profound things. We have entered into a real, true dance with God who is here. And we're all active in participating in that. And then the proclamation of the word of God comes. You know, and I won't uh, go too deep on this, but we encounter God's own speech spoken directly through us, through, through the word. And I unpacked that a couple weeks ago. And, you know, each week, um, each year, we have what we call lectionary readings for our liturgy. And we have three different years, year A, year B, year C, right? You all know that. And the whole intention behind year A, which is the Gospel of Matthew, year B is the Gospel of Mark, which we're in now, and year C is the Gospel of Luke. And within those three, we have the Gospel of John that's in throughout those years. And the intention behind that is to focus on one of the Gospels each year, one of the Synoptic Gospels, and over the course of a three-year period that we'll read this gift that God has left with us um, the Bible corporately in worship together and so that's why we do it the way that we do it if you will and basically when we have the word proclaimed and as I said earlier a couple weeks ago we process out with the gospel right or as my jujitsu professor calls it the golden book of Jesus and 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 but he, he picked up on that. He'd never been in church before, and he'd seen that, and he knew there was something special about that golden book. And we come out, and those are the words of Jesus, right? Those are, that's the gospel, the good news that had been proclaimed by Jesus. And so we bring it out into the center of the people. We all turn, and together we hear this good news proclaimed for us. And, of course than the sermon or the homily. The idea behind that is to take that text that we just read, Old Testament, Psalm, New Testament, and Gospel, and unpack it. What, what's it saying? What, what did it mean? And what does it mean for us? And it should be always, always, every time, there should be an invitation in that Gospel that is incredibly good news and should be laced with grace because Jesus his very life was grace. So this should be an invitation. It doesn't mean it won't be challenging. Hopefully, the words of Jesus challenge us, not to make us bad or make us feel bad or ashamed or anything like that, but to amend uh, our lives, to um, take a, a step closer to Jesus and the life he's called us into. You know, I often say if you're troubled by the word or you're troubled by the sermon and if you feel a little challenged by it, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're bad or whatever, right? It just means that maybe there's something stirring there and it's an invitation. And so when you feel that, rather than put up a defense, um, just open up and maybe the Lord wants to say something to you and just know that there's always grace in the sermon, or there should be, and in my opinion. And so we have the word unpacked, so we're feeding on the word in this dance, right? So there's food there at the dance as well. And one of the ways we are fed is through the word of God. And then what do we do next after the sermon? Typically, I like to have silence, and given the time constraints and things, I don't enter in too much silence, but I like to invite us into a moment of silence so we can sit, and we just had a meal on the word of God. And now I want to let that meal set a little bit, right? And to resonate for us to begin to digest it and, and take that word that's been proclaimed, the one we've heard with our ears and said with our lips, that it's starting to become grafted into our very being. And that's why I always take a moment of silence, even if it's a brief moment. And then following the sermon, what do we do? The Nicene Creed, did you say? Very good. Pardon me? Announcements. Announcements. <laughs> that comes after the peace. <laughs> yeah. But we say the creed. Why do we have the creed after the sermon?
Did y'all hear that? The reason that the, that's, I'm really impressed. I didn't know you knew all this, and we're being married. Um, but the reason that the, God, that the creed is said after the sermon, because historically, uh, in case there was any heresy or anything that was said during the sermon, right? If I get up and I say something silly or wrong or heretical or whatever, we still come back to the core what we believe and we name that belief. So the creed, the Nicene Creed, is basically our response to the gospel and that is faith in the church as, as expressed in the Nicene Creed, which goes back to the 14th, excuse me, the 4th century. Originally it was written in 325 by the Council of Nicaea, called together by the Emperor Constantine. It was later amended and refined in 381. But it's, a, it's, it's, it's the statement of our beliefs that are essential to all Christians. So these words that we're saying um, um, have been said now for 1,700 years. It's the core of what we believe. It's a basic statement of our faith that summarizes God's actions. First, God's action as from creation to incarnation death, resurrection, sending the Holy Spirit onto the church, life with God now and forever in the second coming. And we believe, that is, we say we give our hearts to. Because there's a lot of things that we may not intellectually assent to. We don't understand it or whatever. Some of this stuff's a mystery to us and we don't quite understand how it works. So when we say we believe, we're not necessarily just purely saying that we believe all these and we can explain why we believe everything but what we're saying we're giving our heart to this Trinitarian God we believe we give our hearts to we are in love with one God one Lord one church holy church Catholic that is universal and one baptism and we say it every single Sunday so it is it is the story of Scripture of the Bible of God and us and Christ and the Holy Spirit in one statement it's our core beliefs. This is why we do the Nicene Creed every single time that we gather on a Sunday. So, another question. What follows the Nicene Creed? Prayers of the people. Very good. Okay, so the prayers of the people. So now we've gathered... We've entered into this dance, right? We've processed, we've followed Jesus, we've heard the prayers, we've said the prayers, we've named the Christ's presence as God, you are here with us and be here with blah, 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 and heard the word, proclaimed, we've read it, we've prayed it, we've meditated on it, and now we're turning our attention to, to the world. So we pray for the church, we pray for the world, we pray for the community. We pray for those who suffer, those who have died. And so um, that's what we're doing, and we do it every single week. In the Episcopal Church, we have six essential um, forms of prayer, of the pe prayers of the people. And what we do here at St. Michael's is I think it's important for us to pray for the world. We have a pattern, right? We pray for Christ's church and the world. So we have this pattern. We pray for the world. We pray for the church. We pray for the community. Those who suffered, those who have died, right? And maybe some special other prayers in there. However, what I like to do is take the readings of the week, uh, the liturgical readings for that day that are appointed for that day, and try to incorporate them into the prayers of the people. So not only have we heard the word with our ears, um, interpreted it some in our hearts and all that, but now we're actually praying the word of God that we just heard. And we're using that scripture to offer it up into prayer. And so that's why we do this every single week. We're praying, not just for my own individual needs, but for the church, for the world, and everything else. So look for those if you haven't noticed. I guess you all have probably noticed that, though, right? That we take the lectionary readings and we apply them to um, the prayers of the people. And then 
Next in this dance, there's something significant that happens. The what? What? No. The confession. Thank you, Eric. Eric knows that, right? <laughs> but the confession, because it's important, and I think it's, it's so essential to our worship, and I know that it's sometimes, you know, uh, but we begin, we name something real in this confession. We name the reality of our lives. Yes, we want to love God. Yes, we want to love one another. And, daggone it, I just don't do it. Right? I mean, it's not to beat myself up once again. It's an invitation into something. So it's an examination of myself. And what we always say, notice these words. We say, most angry God. Right? Most stubborn God. Most distant God. No, most merciful God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed but what we've done by what we've left undone we've not loved you with our whole heart that's the truth <laughs> we've not loved you our neighbors as ourselves and so it's beautiful because we come to this sacred moment and we um, um, throw our, 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 our lives at the mercy of this beautiful grace-filled, loving God. So it's important that before we approach the Lord's table that we remember that God is all-righteous and holy as well as merciful and forgiving. And so we often kneel during this part of the service in penitence to acknowledge that we are sinful and that we need God's forgiveness. Even the really nice, super nice, wonderful Episcopalians have a tad bit of bit of sin in them you know and they need to do this too repentance if you will is the essential movement of faithful receiving God's grace it's all about turning our hearts once again to the father and so we seek to have this relationship between ourselves and God set right as we approach the altar for communion that's why we do the confession and we can leave it there with God. We can name the reality. We can tell the truth. And you all have heard me say this before. The church should be the absolute safest place on the planet for us to be honest about our lives with one another and with God. We know that's not always the case. However, if God is not safe with that I can tell the truth about my life, then there is no place that's safe. Nowhere on earth. And the church, the community, the body is the safest place to tell God the truth of my life. And then what happens after we confess? You're doing pretty good so far. I'm impressed. Right? So we have what's called the absolution, right? That's where it's the assurance of our forgiveness and pardon, right? It's where we, you all remember the scripture says, if those will confess their sins, the Lord forgives and cleanses them from all unrighteousness, right? So we just did that. And so the priest will stand up and, and remind us, if you will, um, of our forgiveness. The priest isn't the one doing the forgiving. <laughs> I know you all know that, but the word absolution actually refers to the declaration that we, being penitent, are actually forgiven by God, not the clergy. The priest is not the mediator whom the church is uh, interposed with Christ and the people. It is just naming the reality. And here's the beautiful thing about this confession and this absolution we now have been set free we've been made clean and right with God again if you will and one another and so then I stand and say the peace of the Lord be always with you because Jesus says my peace I give to you right 
I don't give to you as the world gives. I give myself, my peace I give to you. And so we greet one another with this reconciling sign of peace. Greeting one another with the peace of Christ is the fruit of the peace between us and God that has been declared by the priest in the absolution. In the peace, we affirm that we have been reconciled with one another prior to receiving communion. I was in a church in California where, I, I think I've shared this story before, but it was a Wednesday night Eucharist we always had, and there would be 20 of us or something. We'd gather in a circle, we'd go around. Strangely enough, I had two women there. I wasn't a priest yet. They absolutely despised each other. And they wouldn't talk. Do you think that they were missing something? The grace, the mercy, the forgiveness of God, the reconciliation with God. And they just named that in the confession. And they've just been absolved, reminded of God's forgiveness of them. And now you were clean that we can come together as a family to this Eucharistic celebration communion feast. And we've been reconciled. It's significant. It means something. It's real. Okay. So at this point in the liturgy, I stand up. We go get a beer and a hot dog, say some prayers for birthdays, anniversaries, do announcements, right? It's intermission. No, I'm kidding. After the peace, we prepare for Holy Communion, right? At this point, our worship is shaped by Christ's fourfold action in Luke 24, which we'll hear about in a couple weeks, which Paul in 1 Corinthians says, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it, right? You all know that. You all have heard that a million times. And so this is what happens in our service from this point forward. And we'll start with he took. The Eucharist begins with an offertory sentence. I often say, you're loved with a love that you did not earn, and therefore you can never lose. And this is the truth and the reality of God in Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is because it is the gospel truth, and despite what some of us have heard in our lives, we still have an image of God that wants to, despite what we just said in the liturgy and the dance, we have an image of God who can't forgive me or I'm too, you know, and I'm not lovable enough and it has nothing to do with us whether we're lovable. It has everything to do with God's love. So God loves us with the love that we didn't earn and therefore we can never lose. And then I say words straight out of Ephesians, walk in love as Christ loved us and did what? Gave himself as an offering and sacrifice to God. That's called an offertory sentence. In the offertory, we bring, sometimes you'll see the bread and the wine are brought up. Sometimes it's already there and we start to prepare the table. But it's an offertory and it's returning from, to God the blessings as an offering to God. And this here, believe it or not, no matter what you've heard, it is not a collection plate. We're not collecting taxes. We're not collecting money so I can get a new Porsche or whatever. Right? This is an offering. It's an offering plate. And so part of what we offer to God uh, are, are the bread and the wine which represents are the food and our sustenance that we've, that we've grown and produced. And one of the things that we offer in this particular culture and time is money. Money is an offering. Now, why do I give money? I don't give it. I offer it to God as a return, as a blessing. What I'm saying, when I put my money, this money, in the offering plate, what I'm essentially doing is it's an act of worship. And it's the essential part of who we are as Christians in this part of the dance. And when I put that in there, I am saying this is an offering, God, to you. 
I don't offer you a lamb anymore. I offer you something that represents my life, my work, my labor, my stress, my sweat, my blood, my tears, my, my um, um, everything, right? This represents everything about my life. And I make an offering to God with that. And it's a gift. Now, God takes this, hopefully blesses it, and uses it to fund the ministry and the mission of the church, but it's an offering to God. So we give bread, we give wine, and we give something that represents our life as an offering. It's called an oblation. Bread, wine, money, offered at the altar, represent our lives, our work, our recreation, our families, our communities. In other words, we offer to God all that we have and all that we do. That's worship as we learn to grow in self-giving love. So, that's the first part. He took. Um, and then what do we do? Y'all remember this part? Either up here we'll stand and say, all things come of thee, O Lord, and of thy own have we given to you. This is just something you've entrusted to us. All things come of thee. Or we'll stand and saying the doxology, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You all know that one? Right? It's a singing. We're praising God and thanking God for the reality of the blessings of our lives. And everything flows from God and to us and through us and back to God. In other words, we just continue to sing words of praise that's directed to God. I know this is going long, but I'm almost done. And then finally, you'll see the priest up here or the, or the deacon preparing the table. And you'll see him take the wine and the bread, the bread and the wine. And often you'll see him take water. You see him pour a little water in the wine. You know why they do that? Because the wine's so strong that, no, um, just kidding. It's, it's mixing something. The priest um, often says a prayer, something to the effect of, by the mystery of this water and this wine, May we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share our humanity. See, we, we, we take this, this wine and it represents our humanity in this, excuse me, this water that represents our humanity and this wine that represents Christ and they're kind of commingled. And so we share in that divinity as he shared in our humanity. Yes, ma'am, did you have a question? Um, no, we'll talk about that on the way home. Did Jesus' water have anything to do? I'm looking at the time and I'm going long. But did it have anything to do, did Jesus' water have anything to do with Jesus' first miracle? That's a great question, actually. Um, basically, it's the commingling. They used to mix it and cut the wine a little bit with water because wine was much more. But now it represents more for us symbolically the, the, divin the, the meeting of hu humans and the divine in our, in our um, to share in that life together just as he shared in ours. And so the priest, you'll notice, the priest will hold or touch the elements. And, and basically what's happening, whether it's a silent prayer, prayer of the heart, something that's mumbled under the table, may we be accepted by you, Lord. I'm touching each of those elements and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm praying. And then you notice we wash our hands. And we do that because we don't want you to get COVID-19. No. Uh, it's not what we, the reason we do it. The reason we wash our hands is that it represents a cleansing, uh, a clean hands and a pure heart. And um, because I'm getting ready to stand, or the priest is getting ready to stand in an extremely holy place. And so sometimes my prayer is, when they pour the water over my hands, and my prayer is, I often say, Psalm 51, Create in me a clean whole heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Or I'll pray, Wash me, Lord, cleanse me, make me white as snow. You know, because, or, and sometimes I even say, and Pilate washed his hands and sealed his fate. So that I can remember that, um, that, um, this profound thing that's getting ready to take place. Sorry. Um, and so I want my heart cleansed, my life cleansed, and, and, and because the heart's considered the center of our being. And so I ask for that so I can just be a vessel, you know, for, for God just to 
use me in this significant moment. And of course, we go through the various parts of the prayer. We have the sanctus in the prayer. Well, let me, before I get into that, because God is going to meet us here on this altar, right? He's going to meet us in this bread and this wine. Christ is going to be present with us. The second act is that he blessed. So he took and he blessed. So this next moment we call the Eucharist a great thanksgiving. The Eucharist means thanksgiving. And the great thanksgiving, we do what Jesus himself asked us to do. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank God. We give God thanks for creation, redemption, adoption of God's children. That whole prayer, a most merciful God, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. We tell the story again. When we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you, in your mercy, sent Jesus Christ to live and to die as one of us, right? To reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross. So we're offering this thanksgiving, and it transforms our offering. Um, work becomes worship through gratitude, this bread, this wine, and this sacrament, a sign of God, Christ's body and blood right there on the altar. And so we're basically recalling all that God has done for us in this life and through Christ's death and resurrection. Every week, everything he blessed. And so the prayers of thanksgiving and the consecration of the bread and wine. And then I say to you, the Lord be with you. And you say, and also with you. Or I'll say, the Lord be with you. And you're like, and also lift up your heart. What are we lifting our hearts to God, right? The heart, again, is the considered the center of our being. So lift up your hearts, right? We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Right? It is good and right and joyful. Okay. And then we get into the rest of the prayer. And um, um, I just wanted to say this real quick. That we have parts of this prayer. And I know I'm going long. And I'm really conscious of that. So I'll try to end this and try to tie it all together. But we have many parts of this service when we sing holy 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 lord of god of power and might heaven and earth are full of your glory we have what we call the benedictus which is um we say every week when jesus made that triumphal entry i i, I see it in my mind every single week when we say that holy 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 and then when we say blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord Hosanna in the highest. Every week when we say that, I literally see Jesus on Palm Sunday riding into Jerusalem on his donkey. That's what's in my mind. I'm there. I'm like there in it and I see it. And so um, we recognize him as the promised savior of the world. And then we have what we call the, um, um, the prayer of common... Um, Commemoration, really, really, I got ahead of myself. That's holy and gracious Father in your infinite love, right? Words of institution. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And so when I'm saying those words, when we're praying, we're praying those words, and in my mind's eye, I am in this event. And Jesus is there, and and I see him. And he's saying these words to his friends. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had given thanks to you, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, right? And then we have the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. This word of institution, there's that word when he says, do this in remembrance of me, you all will recall that what Jesus is saying, that word's anamnesis, and essentially what it's saying is, is, do this in remembrance of me. Christ is saying, when you do this, I am present with you. And we pray over that, send your Holy Spirit. You all remember that from last week? Consecrate this, make this bread, this wine holy. Use it. Make us holy. Sanctify us also. 
that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and do what? Serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. All right. The fraction is the breaking of the bread. When I hear that break, I, I think about Jesus being broken for us, right? His body being broken. And, and, and that's what it that symbolizes for me. To symbolize, um, hallelujah, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, to which we were son, therefore let us keep the feast. And so he takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you. He gave, he feeds us, he nourishes us, he gives the offering of our lives that we just placed there forgiven, redeemed, healed, and blessed. And he gives them back to us in the sacrament. And then afterwards, after we receive this gift, this sacrament, what happens? We get sent out into the world, don't we? Eternal grace, right? You have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us into the world to do what? To get brunch. No, I'm kidding. What? What? <laughs> I love my wife. In peace, with gladness and singleness. Right? To, 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 we come, man. We come for this dance, and in so we're refreshed, and we feel reassured and revived and renewed every single time we gather. But then we're we, we, we're sent back out of here into our everyday lives, and it's hard out there. Back to our homes, back to our work, back to our neighborhoods. And you'll see on the, on the door out there, uh, when you leave, it says you're entering the mission field, the ministry, right? You're entering the mission field. So we take with us the peace uh, that we receive from hearing again that our sins are forgiven, of being fed on the word and the sacrament, of having a loving Savior, that we have a Heavenly Father who watches over us every single moment of every day. And we're sent out as Christ ambassadors, as his disciples, if you will, to carry out his mission in a ministry among the people we've come across for the next week, where we're commissioned to love as he has loved us. That's what we do on Sunday and why we do it. And I apologize for going so late tonight, but it was a lot to cover. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I left that part out. Yeah, it, it, yeah it, it's really just a, a translational, it's an issue of translation. One's considered more modern, sins, and the real traditional one is trespasses and debtors, right? Forgive, us, forgive those who have trespassed against us as we forgive those who trespass against, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us, or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, right? It's just, it's, I mean the same thing. I mean, there's, we could debate that and talk about it and unpack it, but essentially one's just an, another way of saying it, frankly. Yeah. Any other questions? It's a good question. I'm sorry? Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, with that said, let us do our night prayer compliment. The angels of God guard us through the night. The Spirit of God be our guide. It is but lost labor that we haste to rise up early and so late take rest and eat the bread of anxiety. For those beloved of God are given gifts even while they sleep. My brothers and sisters, our help is in the name of the eternal God. Dear God, Thank you for all that is good, for our creation 
and for our humanity, for the stewardship you have given us of this planet Earth, for the gifts of life in one another, for your love which is unbounded and eternal. O thou most holy and beloved, my companion, my guide upon the way, my bright evening star, we repent the wrongs we have done. We have wounded your love. We stumble in the darkness. We forget that we are your home. Eternal Spirit, living God, in whom we live and move and have our being, all that we are, have been, and shall be is known to you. To the very secret of our hearts and all that rises to trouble us, living flame, burn into us. Cleansing wind, blow through us. Fountain of water, well up within us. That we may love and praise in deed and in truth. Eternal Spirit, flow through our being and open our lips. Let us worship the God of love. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From you alone, O oh God, does my help come. You will not let me stumble on the rough pathways. I am sure that the guardian of my people, the God of all nations, keep watch. So the sun will not strike me by day. You will defend me in the presence of evil. You will defend my going out and my coming in. Let us hear the words from Jesus. Do not anxious, ask anxiously, what are we to eat or what are we to drink? What shall we wear? The whole world runs after such things. Set your heart and mind on God's commonwealth and justice first, and all the rest will come to you as well. So do not be anxious about tomorrow. Today has enough problems of its own. Tomorrow can look after itself. Into your hands, O oh God, I commend my spirit. Keep me, O oh God, as the apple of your eye. Let us say together, preserve us, O oh God, while waking and guard us while sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ and asleep we may rest in your peace. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let's pray the prayer Jesus taught his friends. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. I will lie down in peace and take my rest. Let us bless the earth maker, the pain bearer, the life giver. May God's name be praised beyond the furthest star. Lord, it is night. The night is for stillness. Let us be still in the presence of God. It is night after a long day.
What has been done has been done. What has not been done has not been done. Let it be. The night is dark. Let our fears of the darkness of the world and of our own lives rest in you. The night is quiet. Let the quietness of your peace enfold us all dear to us. And all who have no peace, the night heralds the dawn. Let us look expectantly to a new day, new joys, new possibilities. In your name we pray. O God, strengthen your servants with your holy grace, that we may continue yours forever and daily increase in us your Holy Spirit more and more until we come to your everlasting kingdom. The divine spirit dwells in us. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.